Hey everyone, welcome to the Her Head and Films podcast. In this podcast, I share my personal thoughts and feelings about cinema. If you're new to the podcast and you don't know who I am, my name's Caitlin. I am a writer. I am a dreamer. Uh, I have a great love for literature, art, poetry, and over the last few years I've really developed an intense passion for cinema, for world cinema, art house cinema, and I live in a rural area in the south. I don't really have a cinephile culture where I live. I don't have people to talk to about films. I don't have an art house theater where I live. Um, So this podcast was created to give me an outlet to talk about the films that I watch and to share my passion for cinema with other people. If you're wondering about the title, it comes from an email that I sent a friend a few years back. At the time, I was very, very obsessed with films. I was just watching, you know, one or two films a day. And I wrote in that email that my head isn't in the clouds, my head is in films. I thought it was the perfect way to describe my relationship to films, how I'm always thinking about them, how I'm always interacting with them, and they're always on my mind, and my head is always in films. This podcast does have a Patreon. You can find it at patreon.com slash herheadandfilms. The link is also in the description of the episode. Um, Patreon is a place where people can support um, people who are making videos or podcasts or writing or anything, really. And um, I do have to pay to keep the podcast going, so I do appreciate any kind of support that um, that people can give. I have different levels, different rewards. You can uh, vote on content. You can get access to a mini podcast that I do that's only available to patrons on Patreon. It's a shorter podcast, about 10 to 20 minutes long. Sometimes I uh, talk about a film that I watch, and sometimes I just talk about general things going on with cinema or different memories of, of films. So um, you can get access to that. At one level, you can also get a shout-out on each episode. So i just t- like to take a moment to do my shout-outs to my supporters um, on Patreon. So I'd like to give a shout-out to Lindsay, Olivia, Carolyn, Feminist Overlord, Michelle, and Jesse. Thank you all for being patrons of the podcast. I appreciate it. And thank you to all of you who support the podcast in one way or another and continue to listen to it and continue to find value in the things that I have to say about film. Uh, That's very meaningful for me and I'm very grateful for it. So today's episode is going to be all about Agnes Varda's 1985 film Vagabond. I just rewatched the film recently a few days ago. I did watch it for the first time probably about five years ago. I think in like 2012 I watched it and I really loved it. Um, but when I rewatched it this year, I was just once again blown away by it. I am a huge, huge fan of Agnes Varda. I've seen many of her films from her first feature fo- film, La Pointe Court, to... Uh, One of her most recent ones, I think, is The Beaches of Agnes. There's The Gleaners and I. There's several films that she did about her late husband, Jacques Demy. Um, Like, I think The Universe of Jacques Demy was one. And um, So she's done quite a few films um, about her husband as well. So I think her work is so interesting. She's done fiction feature films, and she's also done documentaries. I think she's a very versatile director. I think she's a very playful director in some ways. She just, whenever you watch her work, it just feels so natural. It just feels so perfectly put together. She infuses her own personal observations and thoughts um, in, in the way that she talks about things. And she often trains her lens on people who are on the margins of society. She certainly did that with The Gleaners and I, where she looked at people in France who, um, like after the markets closed and things like that, they would go through the food that was left over. And they were people sort of living off the leftovers uh, of things. And so 
you have something similar with Vagabond and this film was actually a really big I think commercial and critical su success for Varda. I think she's one of those directors who is a little bit under the radar. She is part of the French New Wave. Some may call her like the grandmother of it. Um, she had one of the early films of the French New Wave in La Pointe Court and um, which is a gorgeous film and I really do love that film. Um, it's very much about marriage and relationships. And of course, there's so many films of hers that I haven't seen. She does short documentaries, um, short films, and she has one that was at the Cannes Film, Film Festival this year with a man named JR, I think. And that's been getting a lot of attention. So she's one of those directors who I think is starting to get more attention and who certainly deserves it. Um, she she doesn't have that name recognition, I don't think, of like a Jean-Luc Godard or a Francois Truffaut um, as being part of the new wave, but I think she certainly should. And I think things are shifting a bit, and she's 89, she's still going strong, she's still creative, she's still delightful and playful. She's even on Instagram posting videos and just being her amazing self. Um... So she is someone who I love exploring her work. I love revisiting her work. And I think Vagabond may be my favorite. I mean, I really loved The Beaches of, of Agnes. Um, that was a really good one in The Gleaners and I. Um, you might not know, but she started as a photographer. Um, she, she even has had photography and art ex exhibitions around the world. Um, and her photographs are just quite stunning. And, um, but then she started to transition into movie making. So she's almost a renaissance woman in a way. She's, she's involved in all kinds of visual, uh, visual arts. And, um, I think that's what's so great about her is that versatility. And you can tell that she has a lot of different interests and that she loves to pursue them. To me, she seems like someone very curious about the world, very curious about people. So Vagabond stars Sandrine Bonaire, who is, I would say, a well-known, somewhat well-known French actress. As I said, it came out in 1985. It's about a young girl who basically lives her life on the road. She doesn't have a home. She is a vagabond. She's a wanderer, a vagrant. She's homeless. She hitchhikes and, and meets people along the way. But what's interesting about this film is that it begins with this girl. Her name's Mona, Mona Bergeron, played by Sandrine Bonaire. What's interesting is that the film begins with Mona's death. We see her in a field. She's frozen to death. And then the film explores how she came to this place. How did she end up dying? So will there be spoilers in this review? I suppose. But there's not... A there's not anything shocking that happens. There's not a big reveal or a big twist because from the beginning, Varda shows you Mona's fate, that she has passed away, that she has died. But this is really a film about someone living on the margins of society, yes, but choosing to in many ways, just like in The Gleaners and I. Some of the people that Varda profiled, they wanted to live in a way that was outside of society, that was outside of capitalism. And I see Mona in that way. But at the same time, this, so this is a portrait of a vagabond, of a vagrant. And it's about her choice to be that way, but also the cost of that choice, which is loneliness, which is never having financial security or, or uh, stability, which is being vulnerable to men, being vulnerable to illness. Um, so she, she chooses this kind of freedom, this kind of free life on the road and hitchhiking, sleeping in the tent that she has with her, um, sleeping in abandoned houses. She, she seems to choose that. We don't know exactly why she's become a vagabond. That's never really revealed, um, which I think is a smart thing to do. It, it keeps you wondering, I think. Um, but Varda also shows the cost of it, that there is a cost and a price. Um, 
I was able to watch a documentary that Varda made 18 years after the film. And, um, and Varda goes back and she talks to people that were in the film. Many people in the film are not trained actors. They are everyday people. Um, and she talks to some of them again and meets them and sees where they live. Like there's a goat herder in the film and he's an actual goat herder. There's a Tunisian man that, uh, that Mona sort of falls in love with. He was, he actually worked on a vineyard. He was not an actor at all. So there's various people in the film that are not actors. But in the documentary about the film, Varda tells us that a policeman told her the story of finding a young man dead under a tree and that the young man had died of cold. And so Varda never forgot that story or that man. And it seems that that was the seed for this story. Um, she filmed the film in Montpellier in southern France. It has cypress, cypress trees. It's a very rugged terrain. Um, personally, when I was watching the film, because I think of the cypress, cypress trees and the way the trees looked, I was very reminded of the paintings that Vincent van Gogh did when he was in Arles um, in the last few years of his life and he was painting the paintings that would make his name and he Arles is in the south of France and so I'm not sure what the the closeness is of Montpellier to Arles but in this film the landscapes that Varda um, captures it very much reminded me of van Gogh's paintings and his time in Arles especially the bare trees and the cypress trees. Uh, in the documentary, Varda talked about her process of researching, um, of, of preparing for the film. And she says that just like a novelist does research for a novel, she did too. She researched vagabonds. She visited places where they congregate like blood banks. There's a scene in the film where Mona is uh, donating blood or I guess they... I'm not sure if they pay you in France to give blood, but she got food. They would give her like wine and and maybe she went there to get food. Varda went to shelters. She went to train stations. She met vagabonds. She talked to them. And she says in her own words, quote, I wanted to film freedom and dirt, unquote. She said that she was very moved by the people that she met. And she even walked on the road herself to get a feel for what it was like and how others saw her. I think Varda in this film is very interested in how Mona is perceived because that is the core of this film is that Mona dies and the film reconstructs Mona and filters Mona through the lens of the various people that Mona interacted with in the last few months, weeks, days of her life. So it's about how people perceive Mona and how, by extension, they perceive homeless people and vagrants. And I think at one point Varda said in the documentary that what the people said about Mona had more to say about them than than her. The film did win the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival. And Varda was very pleased about that because Federico Fellini was there at the time. Um, Sandrine Bonaire won the Caesar for Best Actress, which is an award in France given uh, for acting. Um, at one point Varda says of Mona, she's not a victim. She likes freedom for freedom's sake, unquote. And this film really looks at freedom, I think, of, of what is freedom? What does it mean? What is the cost of freedom? And Sandrine is also in this documentary and she talks about how she didn't wash her hair for a month. They put glue on her lips to make them look chapped. They yellowed her teeth. This is really a film about a young woman who's not pretty, who's not trying to fulfill any kind of feminine norms at all. She's sort of, in a way, transgressing feminine norms. And Varda specifically says that she was interested in looking at a woman on the road, a woman uh, traveling around and what that experience is like for her, both good and bad. And it's interesting because Sandrine Bonaire is gorgeous, especially at the age that she did this film. She was about 17 years old and she's stunning. She usually has blonde hair. She has a gorgeous figure 
And in this film, she looked very different. She had brown hair. She wore uh, large jackets. And she was basically in the same clothes in every scene. So she has like this heavy leather jacket on and jeans and, and like knee-high boots. And she carries this big backpack. So she's she's not trying to be very feminine or anything um her hair often looks dirty she looks grimy she looks unwashed and varda was really also interested in how people are treated who don't seem to be clean or who look dirty that's something that a lot of the people when they talk about mona they talk about how dirty she looks and it's it's this huge sin in our culture to not be hygienic or to not be clean um, and she was also interested in that, you know, not just being homeless, but being seen as dirty and how people are shunned for that. And dirt is a big theme in this film. Uh, there's this really great scene after Mona meets this, this woman picks her up in a car. The woman is very, I would say elite. She works at a university. She studies trees, um and trees that are dying and, and funguses or fungi and um they're sitting at a table and it's just a scene of their hands and the and the professor woman her her fingernails are immaculate and they're like red the nail polish is red and then mona's fingers and her fingernails are caked with dirt because of her life on the road and it's this perfect sort of visual juxtaposition of these two women you know one that's beautiful and stable and teaches in a university and has immaculate fingernails and then Mona who is a traveler a vagabond and, and dirty and so Varda also said in this documentary that she was disturbed that despite all the progress that we've made I guess in the West, and you could say in France, but here in the United States, we do have a homeless population. She said that despite all the progress we've made, people can still die of cold. They can still die of exposure. Um, that, you know, vagrants and the poor still die of these preventable, preventable causes. And that she was very disturbed by that. And she also finally in this documentary says that Vagabond was important to her because it sort of helped her realize what kind of film she wanted to make that perhaps she I don't know if she wanted to send a message or or I don't know if she was trying to say anything political necessarily but I think she wanted to put her camera on characters or on people who are perhaps misunderstood or who are not fully accepted by society who are who are a little bit different in some way and who are shunned because of it. And so it seemed like this film really helped her think about what kind of film she wanted to make and the kind of filmmaker that she wanted to be. And so I think with this film, and as I said, I really love it. And I think the best films, they amplify something. Um, they isolate something about the human condition and magnify it for us. They show us some piece of the world or of life and we can't look away from it. We recognize it. We're touched by it. And for me, that is Mona. There is something incredibly moving about her and yet also um, rebellious. I was I was reminded of little Antoine, I think his name is, in The 400 Blows by Francois Truffaut. And if I have the name wrong, I apologize. I think his name's Antoine. And he was this very rebellious child. And I saw a little bit of that in Mona, where we get a character who is, you know, I am a feminist. I'm someone that considers myself a feminist, and I love women filmmakers, and I love films about women. And I've said this before, um, it, I think it was in my mini podcast for, for the patrons on Patreon, when I was talking about uh, a film that was made by a woman. You, There is a difference when a film is made by a woman. I really, for the most part, for the most part, when a film is made by a woman, we get much more complex, multi-dimensional, nuanced, authentic portrayals of women. And what we get in Vagabond is a woman, Mona, who is 
subversive and transgressive in many ways in the way that she looks in the way that she acts that she is that she is wandering around that she smokes pot that she doesn't have a job that she doesn't have this stable life that she's just sort of drifting around and doing whatever she wants in many ways and she's complicated she's very complicated there are people that try to befriend her and she like when she goes to the to a goat farm there's this family that's herding goats and she talks about how she wants to have her own plot of land she wants to grow potatoes there's she wants to do these things and so the guy gives her a plot of land and says well you can you can do that now instead she spends most of the day smoking pot she doesn't do the land at all she doesn't uh do the potatoes she she's not interested in like regular work or in doing that kind of thing she's i think maybe a dreamer and he says that to her he says that you're a dreamer and he says it in i think a disparaging way of maybe she is someone who is not able to deal with reality or to be able to deal with everyday modern society and maybe she isn't she talks about at one point mona does how she used to be a secretary she used to be a typist or something like that and then she stopped and she didn't do that anymore she seems to not be interested in in working in the conventional sense and so she is deviant and i'm going to put that in quotation marks that i don't see her as deviant but but society would see her as deviant they would see her as lazy they would see her as useless they would because people in our in capitalism especially are so defined by work i mean it really and this is hitting me now as i talk we are so defined by our houses and our jobs and our relationships to other people in terms of friendship or marriage or family these things absolutely define us as people and i think people who live outside of that or who reject it like mona for whatever reason she's on the road she's hitchhiking she's living this vagabond life she has decided to reject that she's not married she doesn't have children she has no stable life she has no roots she doesn't know where she's going to be from one day to the next she has no shelter most of the time she lives in a tent so she is someone who is so outside the norm so outside of of i think our comprehension of what it means to be a person and the things that we want for ourselves you know we want to go to college we want to get a good job we want to have a nice house or a nice apartment we want to have this stable life with a husband or a spouse or a lover we want to create these connections with people and mona doesn't want any of that and she's a woman on top of it i mean we we might we and again this is coming to me just now i make notes for this podcast and then when i start talking all kinds of things come out i was just reading about henry david thoreau and there's a new biography out about him and everybody's just raving about it and how how great it is he was a fascinating person and he, he sort of got this bad reputation of just being this hermit or being this person who was isolated from society when in fact he was profoundly engaged with society he was an abolitionist he believed in civil disobedience in fact he created the whole concept of civil disobedience that later inspired gandhi and martin luther king jr he was engaged with his time um but he lived outside of society in some ways. He didn't play by those rules. He had his cabin at Walden. He had this this very maybe separate life in a way, or, or at least an unconventional life. And of course, men like that get sort of valorized and romanticized. You think of Jack Kerouac on the road. You know, he's around, he's hitchhiking. He's, I mean, I haven't read on the road, so I don't know the full thing about it. But it, I mean, I'm just going to think that it's like on the road, right? Um, or I think of The Motorcycle Diaries, which is a film that I really love about Che Guevara. And, and that's about his, 
journey through South America when he was very young. He went to a leper colony. I mean, he was on a motorcycle or at times they would hitchhike. He was with his best friend at the time. And it was really this coming of age, this awakening for him, this this discovery of the world and of injustice and of inequality, at least in the film. That's how the film portrays it. I'm not an expert on Che, okay? Um, but I do like that film. And so when we look at these men who do this, who are on the road, who are hitchhiking, who are living this very unconventional life, we think they're great. We think they're amazing. We think they're, you know, they're so brave. They're so, um, they're such rebels. And, and, um, but when a woman does it, it's very different. When a woman says, well, you know, I don't want kids. I don't want a house. I don't want a job. I want to just go and travel. I want to, I mean, we don't know why Mona did it. Maybe Mona wanted to see the world or she wanted to see France more. Um, maybe she just wanted some adventure or, or something different for her life. But when she does it, she's seen in a very different way. And we see that through the way that people talk about her who interacted with her. A lot of the men disparage her. They say that she wasn't trustworthy, that she was, um, that's the main one, that she's not trustworthy. But even the women, the the professor, even though the professor, I think, gets closer to her and she has affection for her at first when she's talking about Mona on the phone to one of her students she talks about how dirty she was and how much she stank and and again we see how people who are grimy or unhygienic are very much shunned by society I mean I think she eventually changes her opinion a bit as she gets to know Mona a bit more so there, Mona is seen in this very particular way because she's a woman. And because she's a woman on the road, her experience of being a vagrant or a vagabond is very different than a man's. She has to worry about different things. And there is a rape scene at one point, but Varda doesn't show it. She only shows the man sort of grabbing Mona and then the camera pans to tree branches and we just sort of hear Mona crying or, or screaming and then it's over. You know, Varda was not interested in showing that and showing that violence. She wanted to suggest it. Um, so she shows that Mona is profoundly vulnerable on the road. Um, she's vulnerable to men and at the same time, perhaps at times she uses her sexuality to get food or to get certain things or she flirts or she knows how to use that, I think. Um, but at the same time, she is vulnerable to very, to various dangers, you know, that men on the road are not vulnerable to. And so in this way, I think this film obviously shows gender politics and obviously shows the violence against women and the way women are treated, the way women are viewed. And as I said before, the way some people talk about Mona, some talk about her in a very negative way. Oh, she stank. She wasn't trustworthy. And then other people talk about her in a very different way. She stops at one person's house and she asks them for water. And then later, Varda shows the, the young woman talking to her parents. And she says that she envies Mona because Mona is free and she can go anywhere she wants. So you see the difference between this girl or this young woman who lives with her parents is probably her life is very circumscribed to the house that she lives in, the small town she lives in. She's probably never gone out of it or rarely does. She's, it becomes, a, it's not just that she's rooted there, but that she's trapped there. And she sees Mona as someone who is able to freely walk around, freely explore the world, have freedom, go where she wants to go. And she envies Mona for that. And there are other women throughout the film who say that, who say that they envy Mona because she's free. That's something that recurs throughout the film is this idea of freedom. And um, what, what does freedom mean? Is Mona free? In some ways she is. 
in other ways, she's maybe not free. Um, because she, there's a price to her type of freedom. I mean, just because I'm not a vagabond or I'm not traveling around, does that mean that I'm not free? I mean, I don't know if I would agree with that, but I don't, I would not be prepared to give up every modern comfort, <laughs> you know, to give up a stable home, to give up heat in the winter and air conditioning in the summertime and, and to physically put my body through the rigors of living as a homeless person or as a vagrant or as a vagabond. So it's interesting, I think, as you watch the film to think about the idea of freedom. And this film does not pity Mona. It doesn't show Mona as like a victim necessarily. Not that being a victim is bad. At times she is a victim. And I was just reading Roxane Gay's uh, recent memoir, Hunger, where she talks about her experience of trauma. When she was 12 years old, she was gang raped. And she talks about her weight and living in a, in a, in a fat body, in a very fat phobic world and how difficult that is. And also that her weight gain came out of her experience of trauma. So it's this very complex, interesting memoir. And she has this really fascinating passage about victim and survivor, about how she doesn't, she doesn't reject the term victim that in modern society, especially, there's been these connotations attached to those two words that survivor is seen as the preferable label, that I'm a survivor of sexual violence, or I'm a survivor, I guess, of cancer, or a survivor of whatever trauma one has gone through. And then there's this word victim, and we, we tell people not to use the word victim. We tell people... The word victim has gotten a negative connotation to it. Oh, don't look at yourself as a victim. Don't, you know, oh, self-pity and whining and complaining and, you know, all that stuff that people say. And Gay writes something very interesting. And I might want to, let me see. I'm going to see if I can find the actual quote because I think it's really good. And I didn't even know I was going to do this till this moment, so bear with me. <laughs> um, let me see. Control F. <laughs> Victim. Okay, here it is. Quote. And this is by Roxane Gay from her memoir, Hunger. Quote, I am marked in so many ways by what I went through. I survived it, but that isn't the whole of the story. Over the years, I have learned the importance of survival and claiming the label of survivor. But I don't mind the label of victim. I also don't think there's any shame in saying that when I was raped, I became a victim. And to this day, while I am also many other things, I am still a victim. It took me a long time, but I prefer victim to survivor now. I don't want to diminish the gravity of what happened. I don't want to pretend I'm on some triumphant, uplifting journey. I don't want to pretend that everything is okay. I'm living with what happened, moving forward without forgetting, moving forward without pretending I am unscarred." Unquote. So when I got to thinking about doing, about talking about Mona and this and Varda herself says it, that she doesn't judge Mona, that the movie is not about judging the, the decisions that Mona has made. I got to thinking about that victim versus survivor, because there are times at which Mona is a victim. She is raped. She is abandoned. She is, um, she's forced into difficult situations. She is hurt at times and violated. But that's not the whole of her. It doesn't fully define her. And after the rape, she keeps going. She, you know, she doesn't have resources for like rape counseling or something. And that's something as well as that by living on the road. And we don't know if this is by choice, do we? I mean, we don't know. We simply don't know why she is a vagabond. 
it could be that she experienced a trauma and that she just could not live in her life the way it was. It could be that she was just sick of her day job or she was sick of all the constraints and restraints in her life and she just wanted to be free and that this was her idea of freedom. I mean, it could be a myriad of things that led her to become a vagrant. It could be just that she was poor and maybe she did have a home and she lost it and so she doesn't have anywhere to live and so she's sort of forced into this life of you know moving around and hitchhiking and living in her tent so we don't know and um so at times she's a victim and and at times she's very strong and you've got to be tough to live the life that Mona's living she's on the road she's interacting with people she's she's got men who are propositioning her and she flat out rejects them and says no so you've got to be tough to deal with the with the weather change you know with the heat in the summer and the and the snow in the winter and and to not and to not have food and to not always have water and to live in the woods and go to the bathroom in the woods you do have to be a tough person to take that on so i thought that in this film varda really created a portrait of a young woman as incredibly complex incredibly like flawed and and authentic like she just felt very real to me i'm just looking at my notes she she smokes a lot of pot and marijuana and when I saw what I see in her as a character is someone who's very much outside the capitalist system. And I said this earlier, but I guess I just wanted to talk a little bit more about it. That, you know, Mona lives on her own terms. Of course, that comes with a price. But she also drinks. She does marijuana. And I think for, the, for 1985, that was probably pretty transgressive. She is... She does engage in a level of criminality because she is poor because she may have to steal food at times or she may have to do things like that, live in abandoned houses or live in houses where she shouldn't be. Um, but I thought this was also a portrait of someone living outside mo the modern capitalist system of someone who does not want a nine to five job, who cannot fit into that world and doesn't want it, who does not want to engage in that kind of labor and that kind of work. And so she chooses this other life or decides to have this other life. Because we know that she was a secretary at one time, but she says that she didn't like having bosses. So if you think about capitalism, if you think about a job, there is a power struggle there there is something very unnatural about it in a way of somebody telling you what to do of someone constantly watching you it's i don't know if it feels natural as a human being really it's of course we have to do it we have to provide for ourselves of course um but we judge people who can't do it or won't do it i mean there was recently an article at mother jones that was very controversial because someone was basically saying that it, it was an article about homeless people and it was saying that that um that homeless people were repulsive that it was totally natural and understandable that people would be disgusted or repulsed by homeless people that a lot of homeless people were mentally ill anyways i think that was part of the phrasing or something it was basically normalizing hatred for homeless people and vagrants i mean it, it was unreal i mean i only read like some of it or a few paragraphs and i was horrified you know that somebody would write this like and if you think of mother jones i mean that's like a site that you think of as being like liberal you know and like progressive and it's like why is there this article bashing homeless people? But but maybe it was it was expressing there is a part of our society 
that is repulsed by the homeless and not necessarily because the homeless uh, homeless people may have mental illness but many do many may i mean i'm not trying to generalize or stereotype homeless people but some homeless people do have mental illness some uh some have drug issues and some do not it you cannot generalize there are plenty of people with regular jobs who have mental illness and have um drug issues so i'm not trying to generalize here but um there is this judgment of homeless people for whatever reason that they are homeless because there is and that judgment comes from a place of believing that these people uh, are not living the way that we live that they're not doing it right they're not doing it the right way they need to get a job they need to do this they need to do that they need to pull themselves up by the bootstraps they need to do what we do they need to get up every day and go to their nine to five job or whatever job and I don't think some people stop and think that what if there are people that can't do that people with mental illness people with disabilities people with whatever you know for whatever reason may not be able to fit that paradigm of capitalism of you go and you do this job and and you fit into this box and you live this particular life and so we want to punish people who can't fit that paradigm i think can't fit themselves into the system or the system is just too damaging to them or or for whatever reason they're just not able to do it so we there are a lot of people that judge homeless people absolutely but this article was basically like justifying it oh yeah it's totally fine if you hate homeless people it's totally fine if you're disgusted by homeless people and that's not okay it's it's not okay to justify hatred for any group of people you know unless it's like nazis or something you know of course but people who are vulnerable in our society they do not deserve our hatred or our judgment and so what was really nice about this film was that varda was not doing that at the same time she didn't make mona into some kind of saint as I said before, there were people that reached out to Mona and tried to help her. The goat herder, or I guess you would call him a shepherd or something, you know, gives her the plot of land. She's not interested in really growing potatoes. So there are people that try to help her. The professor kind of tries to help her. And Mona is just on her own path. Mona, like I said, Mona likes to smoke pot. She doesn't necessarily like to work or to do those jobs um like she said she didn't like having a ball so she she wants a very different kind of life that i don't even know if we have like a language for she i mean i wouldn't call her a hippie necessarily but she seems to want to live in a different way that it's it's not enough the nine to five job being a secretary having a boss but at the same time when she's offered this land to maybe make her own living she's not interested in that either so but there is this judgment of the homeless of the poor um and as i was watching it i got to thinking you know drifters homeless people they're seen as like lazy there's this idea that they don't work but I was thinking about over the course of this film and everything that Mona goes through, I was thinking that it actually takes very hard work to be homeless. That the vagrants and vagabonds actually work very hard. Their work is in surviving. It takes work to scavenge for food, to perhaps beg for food, to stand on the side of the road, to try to get a ride somewhere to do difficult labor sometimes to make money like working in a vineyard or, or picking or fruit it takes work to deal with people to interact with people who may want to hurt you to live without comfort or security or a stable home so i would argue that while homeless people are viewed as lazy as as whatever that they actually do perform labor they perform the labor of surviving um, of trying to have a life and to keep existing in a world that is not interested in helping them or giving them a chance or an opportunity 
or understanding their plight or their hardship. So I would argue that they actually perform quite a bit of labor, you know, actually, yeah. So in many ways, you know, Varda has created, like I said, a very complex portrait of a woman. Mona has agency. She has power to some extent. She has choice, autonomy, but she also has many flaws. She's young. She's erratic. She's, like I said, she smokes pot a lot. She drinks. She's, she's unruly. And that's the word I would use in Roxane Gay in her memoir, Hunger, talks about unruly women as well, that she is unruly in many ways, that there are all kinds of women who are seen as unruly, whether they're fat women or uh, a women of color or uh, outspoken women, political women, feminist women, you know, they are seen as unruly. And their bodies sometimes, or certain bodies are seen as unruly. And I would argue that, you know, if we had a cinema of the unruly woman, and maybe we should start that, um, that I would put Mona into that category because she is unruly. And she doesn't play by the rules. She makes her own rules. And she does what she wants to do to a certain extent. And, of course, that is why some of those women talk about her so fondly and so romantically because they would like to have that same kind of freedom in their own life. They they admire her audacity to live, uh, to live in a free way, free from the constraints, free from family. But at the same time, I would... Let me see. I wrote this. I had a note about this. At the same time, while they see her as free and they see her as powerful in a way, I think, and they do admire that audacity that she has, she's also profoundly and truly alone. She does not have family. She does not have friends. She has no lasting connections with anyone. That may be by choice. And it may be for a particular reason. She tells the goat herder at one time because he talks about how he was once on the road and he was a drifter and a vagabond and how he lost a lot of friends as well, that they could not keep it up, that the loneliness really killed them, that it the loneliness destroyed them. You know, if you think about a, vag a vagabond or a homeless person constantly on the move, you never can make a connection with people. You can't have friends. You, you're not in regular contact with family. You're not able to create those bonds with other people that are actually really sort of essential to our lives. I mean, there are studies and statistics that show that people who are lonely, people who are alone, actually live uh, fewer years than their less lonely counterparts, I guess you could say. That loneliness has a profound impact on our physical health, our emotional health, our mental health. Um, and so he is voicing this idea that, yeah, maybe the people on the road are free. They are free in their own way. But there's a price to it, as I've said over and over again throughout this podcast. I know I tend to repeat things sometimes. But there is a cost to it. And for them, the cost was loneliness and that it was actually very damaging and painful for them. But Mona says that, and quote, it's good to be alone, unquote. So she wants to be by herself. She's not interested in family or friends or connections with people. But you do wonder, Mona's very young. As I said, Sandrine Bonaire was 17 years old when she did this film. So I guess you would say Mona's like a, a, a late teenager. And how long can you keep that up? You know, when you're in your teens or you're in your early 20s living on the road, going through these very hot summers, very cold winters without much protection, yeah, you might be able to do it because you're young and you have your health. But as you get older and say you get ill or you get disabled or something happens, are you going to be able to continue that life? And so for now, at that age, she's happy to be alone. She loves it. And 
Um, she's not interested in having any of that. But that can also be a huge price to pay. And, and what's sad about Mona is that in the end she dies alone. That she dies because she's cold. And she freezes to death in a ditch and they find her body. And she's... It broke my heart. Like, it was really heartbreaking to watch because at the first, at the beginning of the film, we see the dead body. So we know what to expect. We know how her life has ended. And then we go through the film and we see the different things that she goes through, the way that she lives, the people she's encountered. And those people give their opinions of her and their, their perspective of who she was. Of course, nobody really knows her. And we as the audience and the viewer don't really know her either. We know bits and pieces that she shares. Like she was a typist or she was a secretary. Um, but we don't know anything beyond that. She's very private. She's very solitary. She's very guarded. And she protects her past and protects her inner life, I think. Um... So she remains mysterious in many ways, and she remains sort of enigmatic, I think, because of what's withheld from us. And But you do feel something for her, and you do see her as, as, as a person, and, and you see her complexities. And to, so to, to get to know her in whatever way that we're able to through the film... And then to see her, to see the death scene, you know, to see her fall into the ditch and to see her shaking and crying and, and, um, it's just to see her alone and scared. And you, like I said at the beginning, there are certain films that they isolate something in the human condition and they magnify it and they put it before us. So that we can inspect it and we can see it more clearly and we can look at it and connect to it. And I think that's what this film does with Mona. That this is the story of any homeless person that you see or any vagrant that you see on the side of the road or begging for food or one of those people holding a sign. That it goes into someone living on the margin, someone who is shunned, someone who is really disparaged in society and centralizes them and tells their story and makes them um, part of our own lives and that's what this film did and I don't think you can ever see maybe a homeless person in the same way again um, you can tell this is a very humane film you can tell that Varda was trying to tell a humane story. That doesn't mean she turns Mona into a saint. It, it's not propaganda. It's not one-sided or, or anything like that. It's, it's not trying to glorify or romanticize people who are homeless. But it is trying to show someone in a really complicated way. You know, she wasn't a saint, but she certainly didn't should not have died of the cold and she shouldn't have died in a ditch and so why did she die in a ditch and why would society allow someone to die in a ditch and i think those i don't think varda necessarily set out to make a political movie but i think there are i think it raises political questions of why, what kind of society have we created in which people cannot exist and they cannot survive and they do become homeless and they do live on the streets? What society have we created that would allow that to continue? Why would people choose, the people who do choose to be homeless, that do choose to be vagrants or vagabonds, why do they choose that? What, is there something about capitalism, about work and labor and that, that has been created that is intolerable for some people who want to be free, who want to live a life that is more liberated? Because life is hard working in a factory or work, 
or working at a fast food place or I mean Mona had more of I guess a clerical office job as a secretary um but perhaps she just could not deal with that she didn't like having a boss she didn't like being told what to do she has a very rebellious spirit and she didn't want to lose that she didn't want to give that up to live in society in a particular way but I think her death raises a lot of issues of and I know it's about France and it takes place in France but I always try to apply things to the United States and we do have a homeless population here we do have a lot of people who are poor who have lost their homes and and so many of them don't choose to be vagabonds you know or choose to be homeless so this this film in many ways I think it it raises those political issues of why you know why would someone even go to this extreme to live this way what is it about our society that has created that that is so intolerable for them you know and what more can we do to prevent a death like that I mean like Varda said Western society has made all these advances and and there's so much wealth especially here in the United States I think we're considered you know the wealthiest country in the world and yet people like in Flint don't have clean water or I just read a story in about in Detroit how there's a lot of um, water being turned off for people who can't pay their water bill because their water is very expensive in Detroit the water bill is it's like double the price of like double the national average and so people ha really struggle to pay their water bill and then they're going and turning their water off I mean in the richest country in the world people don't have access to water <laughs> they don't have access to health care they don't have access to basic things and so anytime I watch a film even if it takes place in another country sometimes I can see things that connect with the United States in many ways and we do have a homeless population here in the US so I really felt like as I said that Varda was taking a piece of the human condition and magnifying it for us and putting it under that microscope for us to look at and I think you I think you really connect to Mona and to her life and to her personality of course you see her flaws and you see um, but you also see her beauty you know and, and you and I, I loved that she was free too. I loved that she sort of was tough and she fought back and she, you know, like this guy, she got like this ride with this uh, guy in like an 18 wheeler or something. And he was like sexually propositioning her and she was like, well, no. And then he was like, well, the ride's over. And so she jumps out and she gives him, she does like an obscene gesture that's sort of like giving him the finger a bit. And I loved it. I just, I love that she didn't play by anybody else's rules. And, you know, if she was uncomfortable with something or she didn't like something, then she was out of there. And um, she was tough. And I'm not, I'm not a tough person. I'm not like a rebellious person. And so I kind of love women who are. And I'm always envious of them that they're able to be so free and so and and just so fierce you know and I saw Mona in that kind of way but by the end we also see how vulnerable she is and how difficult things are for her by the end she's she lost her tent she's she just has like a blanket that she has and she can't it's the winter in France and she can't find any warm place to be or or to stay so she goes to like this greenhouse or something it's something where radishes are being grown and and she sleeps in there I mean she's just sleeping in the dirt I mean it's it's heartbreaking it, to see a human being go through that and you know that Mona I mean as you watch a film you know a film's not real but it could be real that there there are other Monas there are countless Monas in the world who have died of exposure or died of cold who died because they were homeless and they didn't have anywhere to stay so her story is is one of many I think and her story amplifies those other stories and it makes us think about the plight of the homeless the plight of, va of vagrants and vagabonds 
And so it's just, I think it's an, a, a superb film. And I loved watching it. I thought Varda just made her so human. Like, I have to mention this scene because it's one of my favorites. It's like, she's, um, she becomes friends with this woman named Yolanda who works as like a maid for an elderly woman and um so Mona goes in and she's sitting with the elderly woman and they start to drink wine I think and then they just start to laugh like they just start to giggle like this woman is like 80 or something or 90 years old she's she's very old and she's like drunk she's intoxicated and she's just giggling with Mona and Mona's giggling and laughing and it was like I think I should like anytime I'm sad I should watch that scene again because it just it it tickled me it really delighted me and tickled me so you see Mona in just so many different ways she can be anti-authority she can be you know giving somebody an, an obscene gesture um, or she can be sitting laughing with this old woman or she can be smoking pot, or she can be um, on the road catching a, catching a ride, or you know, there's there's so many ways that you see her. She's got so many facets to her, and that is a testament, I think, to Varda's talent and Varda's vision. And I just I love Agnes Varda, and I think she's like a world treasure, and. I'm really glad that she's getting more attention, that um, that people are maybe waking up to the quality of her work and how great it is. And she has a very unique perspective. I think every film she makes has that Varda perspective of the world where she, she draws you in. And she's very interested, I think, in human beings and their stories and... But she's also interested in being, I think, creative. And you see that very much with her documentaries and and um, how playful she is about the world. And how she, I just think she has this very unique perspective of things. And and um, so I loved Vagabond. It might be my favorite Varda so far, although I've seen so many. And I do love the beaches of Agnes. I do love the Gleaners and I. So, I have a lot of favorite Agnes Varda films. I can't recommend her work enough. She has a lot of um, short films. She did films like in California, uh, based in California. and she's, she's done films everywhere, really, in France, in the United States. Um, she's such a diverse filmmaker. She really is. So, um, I did watch this film on, on Filmstruck. Um which is a partnership between Turner Classic Movies and the Criterion Collection. Vagabond is part of the Criterion Collection, I do believe. And um, so Filmstruck is made up of two two parts. One is the Filmstruck part, which is, I think, with Turner Classic Movies. And then there's the Criterion Channel, which has all the Criterion Collection titles. And so that's where Vagabond is. And there are extras that come with it, like the documentary that I talked about. So, I mean, I'm I'm just mentioning this because I use Filmstruck. It's not an ad or anything or, or anything like that. I don't get anything out of mentioning them. I'm just letting you know that if you're interested in the film, that is one way that you can access it on Filmstruck. And that's where I myself saw it. So um, I really enjoyed watching that little documentary that was about the film you know 18 years later and and um and I also have to add about Sandrine Bonaire I I really love her as an actress I also reviewed a film that she did in 1995 with Claude Chabrol called La Ceremony that's a film she was in with Isabel Hubert and you can listen to that episode um at you know at my website for my podcast and um what I will say about Sandrine is that I think she's a wonderful actress. I think she's a very powerful actress. And this year I've actually had like a little bit of a Sandrine Bonaire buffet a little bit. Like I've, like I've watched so many of her films. I also watched a film called Queen to Play, 
which was made in 2009. It's, uh, it's with Kevin Klein. Um, it's by a female director called Caroline Bataro, I think. <clears throat> and so I mentioned those particular films because I think Sandrine has a bit of a history of playing working class characters, of characters who are maybe considered poor or um, sort of on the margins of society. And she certainly did that with La Ceremony, where she played a woman who is a maid and who is illiterate. And she goes to work for a very wealthy uh, family. And she meets Isabel Hubert and they develop a sort of a dangerous bond, a dangerous female friendship. And then in Queen to Play in 2009, she played a working class woman who falls in love with the game of chess. And through her discovery of chess and her love of chess, she sort of gets to escape a little bit her working class life. Because in that film, she also plays a maid. So I think Sandrine is someone who, in her career, has played some of these characters, has played working class women, women who are, um, who struggle, you know, who, who, who struggle financially, who struggle in society. And so I do appreciate that about Sandrine. And I think she always brings such a humanity to her roles. And it's really shocking to think that she did Vagabond at the age of 17, because it's such a powerful, powerful performance. And it's it's just amazing. Like, I was just in awe. And it reminded me, I recently did a review on this podcast of Blue is the Warmest Color, the film from 2013. And it stars Adele Exarchopolo. Uh, I hope I said that right. I still can't get her name right. And she was about 17 or 18 when she did Blue is the Warmest Color. And I thought that was just an astonishing performance. Uh, Blue is the, what Adele did in Blue is the Warmest Color. And I talk about that in my review that I just think it's one of the best performances I've seen. It's, she carries that film and, and conveys so many emotions. And I think, you know, Sandrine in this film, Vagabond, does something very similar where she carries the film, she's in basically every scene, she taps into something very powerful and very authentic about this character. And as I said, you know, they put um, glue on her lips to make them look chapped, they yellowed her teeth, she had dark brown hair, she didn't wash her hair, I guess, during the filming. So they did a lot of things to make it as authentic as possible, and Sandrine just went there. And Varda talked about Sandrine's performance and how she brought such an intensity to the role and a maturity for her age, I think. And so, if anything, I would watch this film for Sandrine's performance. And, I mean, if Sandrine Bonaire's in something, I'm probably going to watch it just to see her because I just think she's a, a magnificent actress. And I haven't seen nearly enough of her films. And uh, But she does really extraordinary work, I would say. Well, I think I've said everything I possibly can about this film. I love it. It's one of my favorites. Um, I'm really glad I rewatched it, and, and I'm really glad I did this episode about it. And um, I hope that I offered you some valuable insights or something that will stay with you or something for you to think about. Or maybe you'll seek out the film or you've already seen the film. Um, yeah, but thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And um, until next time, keep watching great films. And uh, yeah, bye for now.